Vibrant. 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 Music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. This is episode 113 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and in this show, we're going to investigate the most useful tools, apps, and softwares for online music lessons. Hey there, beautiful teachers. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, it's part of a series that we're doing about online music teaching and how we can improve our online lessons now that we've gotten maybe a little bit more comfortable with it. So whether you're teaching online and have been since the pandemic started back in March, or whether you've just started now, or whether you're back in person but you're looking to the future and thinking, if I have to go back online, what will I do differently? Then this is the podcast for you. We're doing this series to dive into one area of online teaching you might like to improve at a time to look at something that you might want to consider a version 2.0 on. This particular episode is about tools. So last week we looked at the actual stuff, so the physical tools that you might like to upgrade or change in your online teaching. And then this week we're going to be looking at the digital tools or the software, the apps, that kind of thing that you're using for online teaching or you might consider using. So these tools are going to help you with stuff like running your video calls efficiently, recording videos, if that's an option you want to go for in your studio, recorded videos for your lessons, editing those videos, whatever they're for, whether that's a regular thing or for recitals and that kind of thing. And then we're going to go through a few basic tools and a few slightly more advanced tools as well. So we're not going to go for anything super crazy where you need five monitors to keep track of everything and a super high tech, I don't know, mouse or something. It's nothing like that. It's nothing that challenging technically, but there are a few tools that can definitely help you to run things more efficiently and give your students a better experience in their online lessons. So I want to start with that efficiency aspect in terms of general online efficiency. This is something where I believe maybe I had a bit of an upper hand before any of this started in that I spend half my day online anyway. A lot of us do spend a lot of time online, but I run an online business as well as my teaching. So while it was definitely challenging to teach online, in that regular capacity that I hadn't done before, I was already pretty comfortable on a computer (laughs) and running things on different sites and juggling a lot of things, a lot of different tabs and that kind of thing. So there's a few tools that help me run things really efficiently on my computer in general that I want to share with you because they can actually make a huge difference. So the first one is called LastPass. LastPass is a tool for managing passwords. And if you don't already have some kind of a password manager, oh my gosh, this will change your life. Because either you'll stop having to remember so many passwords, if that's what you're currently doing, or you're going to be able to set passwords that you weren't able to set before because you couldn't remember them. Does that make sense? So a lot of us are setting passwords that are poor, (laughs) not secure, And that's dangerous, obviously, because people can hack your account. 
And if you have the same password for several different sites, which we all do because we've so many sites, then they're going to be able to hack several at once once they get one of your passwords or usernames. So what LastPass does, it's a little extension in the Chrome browser. I'm not sure if it's in other browsers, but it's definitely in Chrome, and I'm sure there's an alternative for other browsers. But it basically plugs into your browser, and it is going to remember your passwords for you. It can also give you randomly assigned suggested passwords. So you can use it to generate passwords that are going to be really, really efficient, really secure, which is obviously super important in a password. So LastPass is fantastic and saves me a ton of time and a ton of fuss. And every time, by some chance, it doesn't have one of my passwords. Like if I didn't save it to LastPass for some reason, I remember how frustrating it used to be to look after all my passwords because I have to go think about what I could have set for that. And yeah, it's a whole faff. So I highly recommend LastPass or some kind of password manager tool, whatever works within your system. The next one is also will also save you time even more. And that is a tool called A-Text. So just A-T-E. XT. So A-Text is Mac only, I think. I'm sure there's an alternative for Windows, but it is a text expander is what you call this type of program. And basically what it does is it lets you set shortcuts for typing certain text. So for example, my websites are a good example of this, right? I have vibrantmusicteaching.com and I have colorfulkeys.ie. Every time I want to type one of those, I don't type it. <laughs> I type open square bracket. I think you just call that a bracket in the US. Anyway, it's the squared shaped bracket. So I type that and then CK. And that expands into HTTPS colon slash slash colorfulkeys.ie. Right? So I don't have to type that every time. That's just an example. You probably don't have to type your website if you all the time, but I certainly do. I also use it for my email addresses and hex codes for my brand colors and just loads of stuff that I type all the time. So if there's anything that you find yourself typing more than once, this could save you a ton of time. It doesn't have to be short things like the example I gave there. You could literally save an entire email that you're constantly writing, like if you always type the same thing or roughly the same thing, and then attach an assignment sheet to an email, you can save it in the text expander. It's actually faster than using something like Google Gmail's templates and things like that, although that works as well. So a text expander is a great addition if you're spending a lot of time on the computer and typing a lot of stuff. Another thing you might consider is something to manage your to-do list. Now, a lot of us have apps and stuff for this, However, I don't use an app or anything like that on my phone. I don't want to spend any more time on my phone than necessary. And I don't find everything fits into that system. But for business stuff, what I use is Asana. So that's A-S-A-N-A dot com, I presume. And Asana is just a project management tool. And I'm getting into more how to use this for my studio. So I use it for vibrant music teaching and for managing all of that stuff, and we use it as a team there. But I've also been experimenting a little bit on the side with how could we use this for the studio, even just for a one-person studio. So I have a couple of teachers working with me, but 
I'm experimenting with it just for myself in the studio to see how it could help us. And I think it's something that we can definitely get into more. I'm going to be putting together a resource about it once I'm done with my experimentation. But I encourage you, if you are struggling to manage your tasks, especially stuff that repeats or has a lot of steps to it, and you need to copy it you know, multiple times, Asana is great for that. The last general tool I'm going to recommend to you is MailerLite. Oh no, I have two more, sorry. MailerLite is the next one though, and that is for automated emails. Now there's a lot of different tools for automated emails. Some of you might have noticed who are on my email list that I use Drip, not MailerLite, for emailing you guys. However, you don't need something like Drip for a studio. That would be way overkill and just unnecessary to spend that money, so don't do that. Drip is fantastic if you're running a big website or something like that. But for something simple, and what I use for my studio, is called MailerLite. A lot of people use MailChimp. And MailChimp is great, it works well. I used it for many years myself, actually. But it's not free for a lot of the things that we want to do anymore, where MailerLite is. MailerLite is also, it's less feature rich. (laughs) That's why I use the word poor. Which can be a good thing. Because it means it's simple. So the more robust a tool gets, the harder it can be to use. This is called feature creep in the tech industry. They keep adding stuff and adding stuff to the point where a normal user can't use it anymore. And MailChimp is still pretty user-friendly, but it definitely has some stuff that you're never going to need, where MailerLite is that little bit simpler and might be more accessible for you as a teacher. The last general tool I wanted to mention is really two things and that is Airtable or My Music Staff for keeping notes on your students. Now, you may use both of these, but at least use one so that you can keep track of things like student addresses, details, notes about them, you know, uh, payments. If you don't have another place to do that, you can do that in My Music Staff. Lots of different things. But if you don't have some kind of a system, a browser-based system or an app that is managing your students' info, I highly recommend either setting up my music staff or Airtable. Now, Airtable is really a spreadsheet, but it works a little bit differently. Again, this is something we'll be looking to do a training about in the future. But if you're someone that likes to dive in and experiment with stuff, it could be a fun one to try out. Right. So that's for general online efficiency. The next area we're going to dive into is assignment sheets and handouts. So Obviously, you need to send some kind of a digital assignment sheet. And I gave options for this right at the start of most people switching to online lessons back in March. And I talked about either just using a Google Doc or taking a photo even of your handwritten notes. And I think both of those are still great options. So I would encourage you to just keep this area simple. But people do ask what I use for my assignment sheets because they see me doing it. I've done some videos, behind the scenes sort of videos, where I show my planning process on the YouTube channel. And people ask what I'm using there. And the the tool I'm using there, the software is called InDesign. It's from Adobe and it is a design software that teachers absolutely do not need. The reason I use InDesign is because I use InDesign already. Okay? so. Please don't worry about doing that. You can absolutely do this in Google Docs. You can also download our Composer assignment sheets. 
our composer assignment sheets have, if you open them in Adobe Reader, you can type directly into them. So they're actually forms. You can type into them and that's a great option too. That's actually what the other teachers in my studio use because they don't have InDesign on their computers, right? So that's a great option. So you can find those in the library. If you remember, just look for the composer assignment sheets or select practice under the topic. Video calls then. What do we use for our video calls? This has been the topic of discussion the whole time with people lamenting the troubles behind Zoom, Skype, FaceTime, or whatever they're using. Everyone has a complaint about whatever software they're using and is searching for the best one. From the start, I've been recommending Zoom, and that's still what I'm using now. So a lot of the complaints as it relates to the sound or the quality in Zoom, a lot of those complaints, not all of them, are really that you or your student has a poor internet connection. It's just not fast enough. And basically no software is going to be able to keep up with that. They just can't fill in gaps where there isn't basically information there. And so if Zoom is coming through all glitchy audio or even just poor quality audio in general, often that is an internet problem or it's a hardware problem. And if it's a hardware problem, You can check out last week's episode, which was 112, so go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 112, and you can listen to some mic options and stuff like that that you might like to upgrade. If you are having problems with the internet connection, though, or any other glitches in Zoom, you can look up our YouTube video, but a simple tip, if you're already in a call and it's glitching so much that you can't hear, to get Zoom to, or any app, I think, to prioritize the audio, you can simply turn off your student's video. So if their audio is not coming through to you, try turning off their camera, see if you can then hear them. Because as teachers, yeah, okay, you want to be able to see them. I'm not saying this is ideal. I'm saying in an emergency, quote-unquote, situation where you're already on the call, just try turning off their camera and see if that helps. Now, here's the question though. Are there better options out there? Well. There are other options, and you can certainly look into those. One other option that is being specifically developed for music teachers is called rockoutloud.live. Now, I haven't used this personally yet, and the reason for that is that I don't think it's going to work yet for all my students. So, let me say this. If you live in an area where most people have a lot of Apple stuff, I think you'll be fine. Or if you have all your students using a computer as their device for their lesson, that'll be fine. I don't. Some people are going to be on Android tablets or even one on a phone, right? Because it's just unavoidable in that case. If that's the case, the app doesn't seem to be available yet cross-platform, so it's only on Apple as far as I'm aware. That may change. It may even change before this podcast goes out. I don't know. But... For me right now, that means that I can't use it for everyone and therefore I'm not going to use it for anyone (laughs) because I just like to keep things simple for myself and I want to have one place to send people. I don't want to keep track of a bunch of apps. So that's how it stands right now. But I do think it's one that's worth looking into because what they're trying to do, I really admire, which is to create a video call software that prioritizes stuff that's important to music teachers, i.e., audio over video. So if the internet connection is poor, 
It's going to prioritize the audio coming through clearly versus the video. It's also got some fun features that you can look at yourself and see whether they're interesting to you, such as pulling up PDFs beside your video on screen. So to summarize on the video call platform, basically I'm still sticking to Zoom and that's what I would advise to most people. Unless you have a specific circumstance where you want to search something else out. Okay, now, iPad apps then. I'm gonna, I talked to you last week a little bit about how to bring your iPad into a Zoom call. So if you didn't listen to that one and you want to check that out, you can go back to that or you can search on our YouTube channel for a tutorial about how to show an overhead camera because I will talk about that as well. In this episode though, I did want to mention a few apps that I think are particularly useful within online lessons. So these are apps that I would show from the iPad on screen. Now the way I have it set up, I can play the iPad audio directly to my student as well. The first one that I've been using the most is Fourscore. Fourscore is a score reading app, as you might imagine. And we have a recent YouTube video, or recent-ish YouTube video about this. So if you search for Fourscore, colorful keys, on YouTube, you will come across that quick overview of how it works and the basic features. So Fourscore is for reading music on the iPad, and I find it useful to have when my students have digital music that, well, when my students are using music that I have digitally rather than physically, I like to have it up on the iPad rather than on my screen anyway, just to give me that extra real estate on my screens. And um, basically the iPad acts as my music book then, right? So I do that anyway. So some of my students have pieces that I didn't have. So I've asked them to take a photo of certain parts that we're working on and send that to me. or they are using something that I bought digitally and sent to them or printed for them or whatever. So I have that on my iPad as well because it's available through Fourscore. I think it's Music Notes. If you buy pieces there, you can import them directly into Fourscore, which is really handy. So I use it for that. And that also means that I can show my iPad on the screen and make notes on the music. A lot of my students are on the younger side, as many of you know or even my adults are t tend to be, or at least at the moment, are more beginners. But for my few more advanced students, this is uh, definitely useful. So I would say if you have generally a lot of intermediate advanced students, that's where this is really going to come into its own, where you're looking at detailed work on a score a lot, and you need to circle bits and pieces, or write in Roman numeral analysis, or have them do that. Four score can be great for that. Three other apps I've been using are GarageBand, Music Lock, and iReal Pro. With all of these, we're doing some form of basically creating or playing a backing track for students to play along with when they're doing scales, chords, or just creating music themselves. I talked about how we use GarageBand in particular in one of my YouTube live chats, so you can look that up if you're interested in that idea. But for all of those, there's one thing you need to bear in mind, which is that you can play that audio from your iPad through your student's computer speaker, and they can play in time with it on their end. That's fine with me. What you need to understand as a teacher is that it won't sound in time to you. And maybe that's jarring for some people. It honestly doesn't bother me. Obviously, I would prefer to hear music that's in time with itself, right? But I can pretty quickly adjust to that. 
I can, you know, you can still hear whether they're actually playing steadily, which is what you want, right? So if there's the same sort of rough amount of delay from the scale to the backing track, for example, all the time, then they're playing in time on their end. And it's more about the experience of that than it is about me checking anything. And so it doesn't bother me that it's out of sync for me, but that might be up to each individual. Right, the last tool I want to take you through is a big one, so I'll make it as brief as I can. It's not going to be relevant for everyone, but it is my favorite thing for online lessons and has made the biggest difference for me. So when I first started teaching online, I mean, I had taught online before, but when I started, when the pandemic started and the lockdown started and I was teaching online full time, I initially did everything on Zoom for the first three weeks. And then I had a break because it was Easter break anyway, so we took our regular break in my studio. And during the break, what I did was sort out how to use Ecamm Live inside my Zoom calls. Now, not that I needed an entire Easter break to do that, but the first three weeks I was totally just making everything as good as it could be with what I had and not fussing about trying much new at all. (laughs) And then I stepped it up. And I will say, if you're in that position now, if you're, you know, three months in, it doesn't matter. But if you're in the position where you were just saying, okay, I'll do things simply, I'm going to get used to this and just make it work with what I have. And now you're saying, what could make this better? Which is really what this whole series is about. Then Ecamm Live might be a big step up for you too. So what Ecamm Live actually is is it's a software for live streaming, meaning going live on Facebook or YouTube. You can do those things right within Facebook, for example. You can do it within the app, but Ecamm Live just lets you do some fancier stuff. So that's what it's designed for. And you may be thinking, I'm going to tune out right now. I don't want to go live on Facebook. Like, (laughs) that's of no interest to me whatsoever. But here's what it can also do. Ecamm Live can also be a virtual webcam, meaning whatever's showing in Ecamm Live can be picked up by your computer as if it were one camera feed, okay? So it's taking what's showing in that software and showing it to your computer as if it's coming directly from, say, a webcam. So that is how I'm using it in Zoom. I set my camera in Zoom to be the Ecamm Live cam which means that I have much finer grain control over what I show from my camera. In Zoom, you can switch between different cameras, and that's a great option, nice and simple. If you have a webcam plugged in, you can just literally switch your camera in the bottom left-hand corner, and that's a great way to do it. What you can do with Ecamm Live, though, is you can combine different cameras. You can switch much more easily using shortcuts and different things for what they call scenes. So in Ecamm Live, you set up separate scenes and each scene you can lock to be just like that. So for example, I have scenes which are, say, one is what I call my standing camera now, because I now have a secondary camera or primary camera, I should say, which is me standing up. I use that for live streams and stuff and in lessons as well so that I can stand up and sit down. So I have three cameras in my setup. So I have one scene that's just the standing camera, one screen scene, excuse me, which is the overhead piano camera. Another scene is my sitting down camera or just my 
which is just built into my Mac. Okay, so that's three so far. But I can also have combinations of those. I can have one that's just my iPad, I can have one that's my iPad beside me on screen or beside my the view of my piano, or I can have a certain view or like a certain app as a scene with me in the corner or without me in the corner or whatever I want. So I can set it up in all sorts of different ways. And I do find this really useful and really handy for flipping between various different things. Some of the other fun stuff I can do, again, this is not essential, but this isn't the online lesson essential series, this is 2.0, okay? So some other things, fun things that I can do within Ecamm is I can play sound effects and background music. So I use the background music in the intro section, the uh, countdown for my live streams, which I do for teachers like you, which are on the YouTube channel. But I also use the sound effects in lessons. So there's silly little sound effects that are also already built in. Like there's one that is um, basically sliding up a glockenspiel, you know, a zing. And then there's like a, you can put in a wet wet or whatever. So you can have these funny little sound effects. Again, not something you would buy a software for, but all of these things together mean that you can do some pretty cool stuff. So I use those in games and just to add a bit of hilarity to our lessons and kids really appreciate those. The other thing I can do is I can bring images onto the screen. So when I play the online games, the slides versions of our games, I actually use little animals as my students' tokens. And Ecamm Live is the way I do that because I have those as ping files, PNGs, and so that means that it's transparent around the animal, okay? It's not, this is a little bit techy, okay? But <laughs> if it was a JPEG file, it would mean you would have to have a white box around it. If it's a ping, you don't have to have that. You can have a transparent background. So it's just the animal sort of cut out, as it were. So I have a collection of those in Ecamm Live, and I can move them around my screen. So I actually use those as my tokens for the games. Now, teachers who don't have that can still play the games. They just use the stamps in Zoom or in whatever software they're using to run their video call, and that works perfectly fine, right? This is just a fun alternative way to do it. So I have that. For my practice with PAL sessions, I also have fun borders that I put up to show what practice theme we're working on that day, right? So again, that's just a transparent image. I can also play videos directly within Ecamm Live. Again, you can do this in Zoom, it's just a little bit more convoluted, not really, but you go and you click on the app that you want to share and you share the computer's sound and then play the video within that app. And that works fine. Ecamm, though, lets you just pop it directly in and it'll autoplay, so it's really handy for stuff like my online lesson ovations or just playing examples of music to students, uh, playing performances for them and that kind of stuff. Aside from in-lessons, that's some of the fun stuff that I use in-lessons. Aside from in-lessons, the other reason you might consider getting Ecamm Live is that it's really handy for recording videos. So if you're not a video editor, but you want to record videos where you switch between, you know, your overhead piano camera and a few different scenes, Ecamm Live lets you record rather than go live. So there's an option which is record only. And that's great for recording videos for students. You can also go live onto YouTube. I do this sometimes. So if a student is 
missing their lesson or if the internet just will not behave itself and we have to cut the lesson short and I want to record a video for them, I'll actually just go live onto YouTube as an unlisted video and record it right there within YouTube and then just send them the link and that's really handy for me. So I do that right within Ecamm Live as well. The reason some other teachers jumped on the Ecamm Live bandwagon is because of putting together a recital and that's how I did my recital as well, is that I did a live video through Ecamm onto YouTube and played my students' performances from there and did, you know, the emceeing and all of that stuff within Ecamm through a YouTube live and that was a great experience for my students. I'm still hearing from parents actually, you know, they still bring it up in emails and stuff. They're like, oh, I hope you'll do that again. That was fantastic or whatever. And obviously I'm because of all the other work I do, I'm already pretty comfortable on camera or at least used to things going wrong and just dealing with it. <laughs> so uh, that was maybe easier for me than for most teachers. I do appreciate that, but it's been really great to get that feedback and it's definitely doable for any teacher who wants to do a live recital like that. Some other things you can do include bringing in Skype guests. So you can actually have a video call with someone via Skype and bring them in as a guest. I also did that for my live recital. I had the two other teachers live on the call. You could do this with students as well, just I would be a bit cautious about it with young students and with anyone with a dodgy internet connection. But uh, for bringing on my teachers, that was great. If you're considering doing something where you want to have a guest for whatever reason, it could be something like a workshop where if you normally have other teachers in for a masterclass, you know, this could be a way to do that. Or you can do that in Zoom as well, but it's just another option for you. Okay, so I've been talking about Ecamm Live for a while. I hope I've given you an overview and if it is interesting to you that you'll check it out. I have no affiliation, obviously. I just have found it really useful for my teaching. One note about Ecamm Live is that it is Mac only. So I hope I haven't disappointed anyone there. There are alternatives. One recommended alternative is called vMix. There's also OBS. Both of those are live streaming softwares. vMix and OBS I have not used personally because I haven't had a Windows PC computer in years, but OBS is very widely known and recommended by a lot of people. vMix in particular is recommended by a YouTube channel that I follow and, and like the content of. So. They're called live streaming pros. Loria Petrucci and the guy talks about the Windows side of things, but I've forgotten his name because I'm always listening to her. So she talks about what Mac, he talks about Windows, and they do talk about this type of software. And what he recommends for Windows is vMix. So I would check that out if I were you because they really do know their stuff when it comes to live streaming software and this kind of thing. Another option. If you just want that aspect of having side-by-side -side cameras and stuff, is something called ManyCam. I believe this is free or fairly cheap. I know it's quite tricky to set up, but once you get it set up, I'm sure it's a great option. I already had Ecamm, so that was the easier way to go for me. And ManyCam is more about having different camera views side-by-side, -side, so it wouldn't necessarily, as far as I know, be for the on-screen game counters with sound effects or playing videos with the, your computer sound coming through your student speakers or anything like that. But a great option for that scenes element of Ecamm. Okay, so those are your tools for today. I would love to hear what 
you think would make the biggest difference for you and your student. So based on what we chatted about today, some of it you might be shaking your head going, ah, oh, that doesn't sound interesting at all, or, oh, that sounds horribly techy and I, not worth it to me. And that's totally fine. Of these you've heard here, or of other tools you've been considering, what do you think would make the biggest difference for you and your students to make their online lesson experience better or to make your management of the online lessons better? Let us know over on Facebook or on the show notes page at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 113. That's the show notes for this episode and I'd love to hear what you think about this there. I hope you enjoyed this show. This is part of a larger series as I've mentioned so I hope you'll come back next week. We're going to be talking next week about planning systems, planning and systems for your online music lessons. So how do you plan online lessons? Is it different from in person? What systems can you have in place? How do you set those assignments and email them to your parents? And yeah, all the systems that go along with that. So that's next week as part of this online lesson level up series that we're doing here on the podcast. I hope you'll join me back here then. And I hope you'll also join me for an upcoming webinar I have if you're listening to this when it goes out. You can sign up for the webinar at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash confident. It's happening very shortly after this podcast, and it's about creating confident parents with essential email sequences. So it's about email automation, which I mentioned MailerLite here in this episode. So it's about how you can use that to create parents that are really confident helping their child at home and as involved as you want them to be with their child's music education. So I hope to see you on the webinar and back here on the show next week. Until then, bye for now. If you're curious about the idea of using Ecamm Live, you can see it in action over on our YouTube channel. Just search YouTube for Colourful Keys and subscribe to get all our latest content there and see me using Ecamm Live for my teaching.